Well, good evening, everyone. I trust that you got a copy of the, the bulletin this morning, or this evening, with the sermon outline in that. You'll find that helpful. Please open God's Word to the Gospel according to Mark, and it's Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 is found on page 1167. Last week we considered at the beginning of this chapter, looking at the triumphant entry of Christ into Jerusalem, and then this evening we'll consider the remaining verses of this chapter, and it's verses 12 to 26, maybe not the remaining, but the verses 12 to 26. So let's listen to God's word. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem, and then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And so Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, I've shared a number of times the differences between the U.S. and the U.K. Well, another difference between these two countries is the amount of meat that you get in your sandwich. Both countries love their sandwiches. But for you Americans, be warned, if you order a ham sandwich in the UK, don't be surprised if all you get is one or two slices of ham. You order a sandwich in the US, and it's stuffed full of meat. Well, Mark today gives us a sandwich, and you can decide whether it's American or British. Well, this sandwich technique is common in Mark's gospel. Uh, This technique occurs some nine times in the gospel. Mark begins with story A. He then introduces story B and then returns to and completes story A. 
And in our passage today, we read about a fig tree. Then Mark moves on to the clearing of the temple and then back to the fig tree again. And Jesus is challenging God's people, but also he is condemning himself to death to do what his people could not do. And so I want you to notice that as one of God's people, you are to have faith in God. And that is evident in the fruit of prayer and unity with others. And this is only possible through Jesus Christ taking the curse on himself to bring you into God's presence. So firstly, Jesus expects to find fruit in your life, verses 12 to 14. So last week we considered the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Afterwards, he returned back to Bethany, most likely to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Well, in verse 12, we read that the next day, he returned to Jerusalem with his disciples. The journey is about two miles, and along the way, Jesus spotted this tree, a fig tree. And since he was hungry, he decided to enjoy some of the fruit on the fig tree. But he found nothing but leaves. And notice how the word leaves are mentioned twice. Mark is emphasizing that this tree has fresh luscious leaves that promise much, but instead it only disappoints. It had no fruit. But then Jesus says some surprising words. He cursed the tree by saying, let no one eat from you ever again. Mark includes how the disciples heard it. This stood out to them. They heard Jesus' disappointment and then his condemnation of this tree. Now, a lot of people over the years, they take issue with this passage. They even wonder if it could possibly be true. They can't believe that Jesus would do something destructive. Mark includes that it was not the season uh, for this fig tree to produce figs. And so it sounds unreasonable for Jesus to even to expect to find fruit on this tree. But even though the tree is not in season... A fruitful fig tree would still have small, semi-edible fruit that would later ripen to become figs. And this was what Jesus was after. But this tree had none. There was no sign of any fruit to come. It was completely barren. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, this is what Jesus is doing with his fig tree. He's using an illustration to teach an important lesson. From a healthy fig tree, you can expect figs. Now, Jesus using this illustration of a fig tree is no accident. The fig tree was often used to describe the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. The prophets frequently described Israel like a fig tree, and it wasn't positive. In Hosea 9, we read, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness, I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Beel Peor and separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the things they loved. So Jesus is taking this illustration from the Old Testament. He's using it again. And the disciples, they would understand the meaning of this illustration. Doriani writes, the fig tree symbolizes Israel. As the fig tree had leaves, but no fruit, Israel had a temple, but no spiritual life. 
as gleaming buildings teemed with robbery and hypocrisy and dead ceremony. And remember, Jesus is doing this just before entering the temple. Now, is Jesus being presumptuous? No, because we read in verse 11 that Jesus went to the temple already and he looked around. And last week we noticed how by Jesus looking around, it meant he was judging it, he was condemning it. He scanned his eyes over what was happening in the temple and he saw how corrupt it had become. Now, it must be noted this was not Jesus' first time uh, to visit the temple in his ministry. It is believed that he cleared out the temple at the beginning of his ministry. And this event is recorded at the beginning of John's gospel. Well, Jesus condemns them, for they say they are God's people. They look green, they look fresh, they look healthy. But the reality is much different. And that's a challenge for you and me. As one of God's people, you are to produce fruit. That's what God expects to find in your life. Sinclair Ferguson says there are two conclusions from this passage. Either Jesus was callous and cynical in his use of power, or the question of our spiritual fruitfulness is one of immense seriousness, which we ignore at our peril. It is important that you are bearing fruit. And we will consider later uh, what spiritual fruit looks like. Well, secondly, consider you're to come to God recognizing that he is holy and point others to this truth. Verses 15 to 17. So we come to the meat in the sandwich. Mark gives us a snapshot of what temple life looks like. The temple is where the Jews come to worship God by means of a sacrifice so that they can pray to him. And I've given you a picture of the temple in your outline because it's important that you understand the layout of the temple for this passage to make sense. The temple is divided. There is the Holy of Holies. That's the most holy place where only the high priest was allowed to enter once a year. Then after that, you have the court of the priests, where only priests are allowed to enter. Then there's the court of Israel, where only Jewish men could enter. Then there's the court of the women, where Jewish women were to go no further. And then you had the court of the Gentiles, this huge court that was around uh, the tabernacle, or around the temple. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, they were allowed to enter this court but they were not allowed to go any further. And it was in this court, the court of the Gentiles, which had been turned into a market. And this was not always the case. The Mount of Olives was where all this activity used to take place. But over time, the operation moved itself into the temple courts itself. And this was seen probably as more efficient and also a means of making money for the temple. Why get your animal sacrifices outside the temple? There's one already available for you inside. We appreciate convenience. Before coming to the States, the big excitement in Belfast was that of the first drive through Starbucks was going to be opened. It was once unthinkable, but for convenience, now Belfast people, like us here, we can get our coffee on the go. 
And so since coming to the States, we have enjoyed drive-through banking, drive-through pharmacy, and of course now drive-through coffee. Well, pragmatism had turned this temple into a market. But let's not also forget, this is the time of Passover. The temple courts, they are hiving with people. All these people needed lambs to sacrifice. Josephus, in his historical account, he speaks of how, in AD 66, 255,000 lambs were sacrificed during the Passover season. And as well as the Passover sacrifice, there were the many other sacrifices that were happening in the temple at that time. And this included the sacrifice of doves. Doves were the sacrifice that the poor would make. And because a large proportion of the population was poor, there would have been this huge demand for doves. We also read that in the temple, money was being changed. Every year, each man in Israel had to pay a half-shekel temple tax. However, the currency of that time was the Roman denarius. People did not use shekels anymore, except for in the temple. And so this money had to be exchanged to pay for this tax. That was why there were money tables, to exchange money. And then the final thing that's going on in the temple was that this core of the Gentiles was being used as a shortcut. Herod's temple complex was huge, as you see in the picture. And so people, they found it easier to cut across the temple court, or the core of the Gentiles, rather than go the whole way around it. There was even a rule in the Jewish, the Jewish tradition uh, that was to stop people from doing that but it was not enforced. And so Jesus saw people cutting across the court of Gentiles, carrying their goods rather than walking around it. And so you can imagine this court of the Gentiles. It was an extremely busy place and an extremely noisy place. Not a place to come and to pray. It'd be like praying in the middle of an airport terminal or in the middle of the farmer's market, or in the middle of a roundabout. And even those do not compare to the mayhem of this court. This is what Jesus has a problem with. He said the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. It is for everyone. But the Jews had turned it into a den of robbers. And so he's so outraged that he takes action. And he drives them out. He overturns the tables. In John's gospel, we read that the disciples saw Jesus fulfilling Psalm 69, where it says, zeal for God's house will consume me. Jesus is zealous for God's house. This is God's holy house, where God is present with his people. This is where his people come to meet with him in prayer. But it's more than that. The Gentiles, the core of the Gentiles, was where the nations were to come and meet with God. This is the closest that they can get. But they have been effectively kicked out by this permanent market. Hughes writes, The real shame of this spiritual robbery was that Gentiles, and indeed all seeking Israel, were being perverted from true worship. God's house had become a racket. 
instead of being a light to the Gentiles. That's why Jesus had to cleanse it. He had to remove the distraction to point people back to God. And again, that's a challenge for you and me. How you approach God, it reveals a lot about your hearts. For the Jewish leaders, they saw it as a means for making money. It resulted in them not being concerned about showing respect to God. Instead, profits took priority. And so what is the priority in your life? What are you committed to? What is it that you allow to distract you from God? Is it your work or your family? Is it a sports team or a hobby? Sometimes we are simply committed to being busy. We thrive on busyness, even busy with good things like church activities. We look like this luscious fig tree. And yet the reality is that we have no fruit. The world is watching on. Your family, your friends are watching you. Your children are watching. Do they see fruit? Or do they see a whole lot of busyness? Hughes writes, when a seeking heart enters our churches, our homes, our lives, our core of the Gentiles, may our actions say that God is alive, that God is holy, that God is loving. May our worship and service say to others that we love him with all of our hearts. So what do your lives say to others? Are you a distraction to the gospel or are you pointing people to God who is holy? Well, thirdly, notice your faith is demonstrated by the fruit of prayer, verses 19 to 24. We read that Jesus and his disciples left the the temple in the evening and returned to Bethany. And then the next day they returned to Jerusalem again and they see the fig tree. But now it's dead. Let's not forget, this was the tree with the luscious green leaves. But now it was dried up from the roots Normally when a tree dies, you see it begins, begin with the leaves wilting. But this tree was dead from the roots, the source of its life. And the disciples knew why. Peter remembered that Jesus had cursed the tree the previous day. And so it was a graphic warning of what would happen to Israel because it produced no fruit. Hughes writes, Israel was a barren fig tree and the leaves only covered its nakedness. The magnificence of the temple and ceremonies hid the fact that Israel had not brought the fruit of righteousness demanded by God. And Israel would be judged for not being righteous. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of an upcoming judgment in his day. Jeremiah 8 verse 13, I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, no figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade. And the things I've given them shall pass away from them. And Israel would be judged again. Within a generation, the Jews would rise up against the Romans. And the temple would be the focal point of this military resistance. And so it's no wonder that the Romans destroyed the temple and the Jews were put into exile. The Jews clearly did not put their faith in God. Their faith was in this temple. They thought that if they had the temple, that they are secure. It was like a lucky charm. This was a colossal building. This was the center of their being. But in an instance, 
It was destroyed. The earthquake that hits Turkey and Syria the other week killed thousands of people, and the people died in their homes. Our homes are often places of refuge. We long for our homes after a busy day, after a long trip, after a stint in hospital. But in this instance, their homes were a deadly place to be in. These buildings that they believed would keep them safe ended up killing them when they collapsed. We put our faith in the wrong things. Maybe our finances or our education or in our own abilities. But none of them are secure. Jesus says in verse 22, have faith in God. It's that simple. Now, often these verses are misunderstood that if you have enough faith, you can simply move mountains. No, it's not about your faith that can move mountains. It's God's ability. God can move mountains. He is powerful enough to do so. And so our response is to see God in a new and fresh way, that he is a big and powerful God. And that is why you are to have faith in him. And your faith is to be demonstrated by prayer. Prayer recognizes that you are dependent on God. You're not dependent on anything or anyone else. Too often we say we have faith in God, but our prayerlessness demonstrates the opposite. It's no different to the Jews who say they are God's people. They went through all the motions, but their faith is not in God. We're quick to say we're God's people. We expect God to bless us. And yet we can live our life without a dependence on him. This is wrong. This is not faith in God. This is not recognizing him to be all-powerful, able to answer our prayers. Instead, you and I, we should be like the Apostle Paul who says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So do you recognize God's power or do you doubt it? Do you ask God for help? When you're tired or exhausted, do you ask God for strength? When you're anxious, do you ask God for peace? When you're unsure if you can meet your bills this month, do you ask God for provision? When you're sick, do you ask God for healing? Sadly, prayer is often our last resort. We try everything else and then we pray. Now, this is not to say you are simply to pray and then assume all your problems will disappear. This is not name it and claim it. No, prayer instead is faith in God. Wilmhurst says Jesus is saying that if we want our prayers to be answered, we must be people of commitment, not people of doubt. And so your commitment is to God. Your faith is to be evident in your prayers. Well, then fourthly, your faith is evident by the fruit of loving and forgiving others. Jesus tells us that prayer is not possible when you're holding something against someone, when you have resentment in your heart. No, instead, you are to forgive quickly. You are to have a forgiving spirit and not be easily offended. Now, this is easier said than done. 
But when you consider the offense that your sins are to God, and yet he has forgiven you, well, then you are to be quick to forgive. And this passage contains the hope of forgiveness. So while Jesus curses the fig tree, which had been foretold in the Old Testament, he also promises that he will replant Israel and produce healthy figs from her again. We can read of this in Joel 2. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. And so the hope is God is making a new Israel, a new people who have put their faith in him. And as a result, they will produce fruit. They can love. They can forgive, for they now know God's love and God's forgiveness. And this new people would be a united people. The temple was a system of courts, as we've seen, and there, were, there was separation. There were barriers. There were distinctions. But now in Christ, we are all one, made up of different nations and tribes and tongues. But we are united. And Paul speaks of this in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. And so since we are united in Christ, this unity is to be seen and evident with each other. And I am very thankful for the unity that we have in this church. And I believe that God is blessing us because of that. And yet our unity is not based on how nice we are. It's not even based on our kindness. We often hear that today. Be kind to one another. Hashtag be kind. But our kindness cannot be achieved. Our kindness cannot achieve unity. No, it's based on us being in Christ. We recognize God's work of grace in their lives and in our life. That's why we can forgive one another. That's why we can love one another. It doesn't matter what nationality they are from, we are called to love them. And John speaks of this in 1 John 4. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So who are you struggling to love? Who are you struggling to forgive? Well, in Christ, you can love them and you can forgive them. Well, finally, let's notice Christ took the curse to bring you into God's holy presence. Verse 18. The reason why you can produce the fruit of prayerfulness and fruit of love and forgiveness is because of Christ's work. Verse 18, we see that by Jesus clearing the temple, he has sealed his death. We read that the scribes and the priests, they heard about it. We can assume they were in the court of the priests, but they still heard the commotion of Jesus clearing the temple. And it's interesting that we read of both scribes and priests. The scribes were most likely made up of the Pharisees, the priests most likely made up of Sadducees. These two religious groups were very different in their beliefs and in their commitments, but yet they can unite 
in this cause that Jesus must be destroyed. These religious leaders, they were committed to their religion, but their religion only caused them to hate. It did not enable them to love. Their religion was not of God, but it was of empty ritual in the temple. It did not demonstrate love because they had no love for God. And so when Jesus threatened the temple by clearing the temple so that the nations could worship God, we see their response was that of hatred. They saw him as a threat, and so they sought to destroy Jesus. And Jesus would know the outcome for clearing the temple. He knew he would be rejected. He knew he would die. But Jesus willingly laid down his life, for he knew his death would accomplish our salvation. For like the fig tree was cursed for not producing fruit and so died, so was Israel and the temple cursed for not producing fruit and so would face the judgment of death. But Jesus took that curse, that judgment on himself by dying on the cross. Israel did not produce fruit, particularly the fruit of righteousness. But Jesus Christ was perfectly righteous and he gave to us his fruitfulness. He is the fruitful tree. Jesus said, if you have faith in God, you can move mountains. And notice he says, to this mountain. And he's referring to the temple mount where the temple is located. God would move this mountain. This mountain represented dead religion, whereas the opposite to this mountain is faith in God. And so the Jews should give up this false and empty religion and trust in Christ instead. Jesus overturned the tables that day, but it was only a prelude to God moving this mountain when the temple was destroyed, when this great obstacle was removed. And so all those trusting in empty religion will be destroyed. But those trusting in Christ enjoy an eternity in God's holy presence. Well, that's an assurance for you and me. While we can be quick to condemn the empty ritual of the Jews in the temple, we can speak of their lack of fruit, the reality is we are no different. Too often the fruit from our branches are lacking. We grow cold, apathetic. Our faith looks more like empty ritual than a true commitment to Jesus Christ. But thankfully Christ took the curse that we deserved. And it's in him. And only in him that we produce fruit. That is the hope that you and I have. And so as one of God's people, you are to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's to be evident in the fruit of prayer and loving and forgiving others. And this is only possible through Christ who took the curse. So to bring us into his holy presence. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are a holy God. And we recognize that we are not holy. We deserve your judgment. We deserve your curse. And so we thank you for Jesus Christ, who took the curse on himself and gave us the fruit of righteousness so we can come before you. And so we pray that we would grow in our faith in you. And Lord, that you would produce the fruit of prayerfulness, the fruit of love and forgiving others. 
and so that our lives would point others to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn your psalm book to Psalm 1a. Psalm 1a, this psalm speaks of the blessed man, and it is this man whose leaf never fades, who produces fruit. Well, ultimately, this man is Jesus Christ. He fulfills this psalm, and you fulfill it too, since you are in Christ. So let's stand and praise God with these words.